0: Yeah, I don't want to go to Vermont.
1: <laughs> don't um, make me go
0: to Vermont. I don't want to go.
1: <laughs> it's a, It's like the. Uh, it's like the meme where it's like, please, God, the like fetus, please, God, please, Norway, Vermont. Fuck. Uh, that's that's accurate. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome, welcome, everyone. I am Matt, and this is the Poor Prols Almanac.
0: Yes, and Prol is short for Proletariat, and my name is Elliot, and this is my contribution to today's show.
2: It's so much better when I don't start the introduction, isn't it? Everyone agree on that? I should just work my way out of the podcast until nobody notices (laughs) I'm just gone. Right. Just give you one less liner every week. <laughs> Within five years, you'll never know
1: I was there. Five years away. Andy's ghost writing three podcasts.
2: <laughs> so yeah, welcome back. This is uh, a fun cold February that this should be coming out in, and uh, you know, climate change probably like seventy-five degrees in New England. So you know, that's cool.
1: Man, I can't wait for summer three. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. It's like the gremlin
2: season. The dudes with like lots of meals. Mm-hmm. Short.
0: My God, are you talking about hobbits? Because if you are, what is wrong with you? Gremlins can't have food after midnight, and I believe you're mixing up your make-believe.
1: Yeah, that's
2: really bad. And not a good two to mix up. Well, first off, uh, short people is the appropriate terminology for, for our type. So,
1: All right. Know, Dear listeners, on behalf of the PPA team, sorry for this malicious language against the Lord of the Rings.
2: Oh, yeah, the ring guy. That, that's the one I'm talking about. He yep. has a name. He has <laughs> a name? <laughs> and Does his he really? Frodo Baggins. I thought Frodo was the dude with the curly hair.
1: Yeah. We're
0: moving on from this immediately now, whatever this Are is. Are you thinking of
2: Gollum? Are you Maybe. Of a sickly little guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know anymore the to be with the ring,
1: I don't think you ever. That's knew. kind of the whole plot, anyway.
2: Anyway, there's what a guy the who fuck has are the ring. We there's, about? there's
0: a guy who has the ring, and then there's the guy who's looking for the ring.
2: And the guy, looking the, looking guy for the, ring, it's the giant, the giant eye, ring. eye. But do they fire. like to eat a lot? Is my question.
1: Yes, the hobbits, not Gollum. Yeah. Gollum eats like live fish. Um, Colin
0: was a hobbit at one point though so right. again moving on from this whatever what are we supposed to be talking about today that's not hobbit based
2: not Hobbit. oh shit that's what I, that's all i prepared for is hobbit based facts can't you tell oh, you summarized
1: um, the two towers in preparation <laughs> You just you, you can't you can't see it because we're
0: on, on an audio medium but andy's just holding up his hairy feet and i hate it
2: <laughs> yeah they're they're delicious. Look at them. Um, we are we are talking about a man with a notoriously large appetite. Maybe really? J. Russell Smith. I mean, you should. If like appetite was metaphorical, then yes, he loved to explore and he loved to read. It was the way he consumed the world. Okay, so this is this is the like tree crops guy that I think
1: we've mentioned before, and we've like talked about. Everyone, like, kind of hypes up his
2: book. Yeah, everyone knows the tree crops. Everyone loves to talk about tree crops <laughs> from J. Russell Smith, and uh, justifiably so. It's a good book, uh, and it has stood to the, uh, stood up to the test of time, so, you know, props for that. But today we're probably not even going to get to that. Instead, we're probably going to mostly be talking about maps, just I'm like a- Gollum.
0: I am. I'm upset with all of this because you yes. started, off hobbits, of then, no, started off with hobbits and then no, we started off the hobbits and then you reference <laughs> this guy as the tree crops guy. He's closer to tree beard, the fucking ant. Like the what? Get your, get your Lord of the Rings mythology like together, bro.
1: Does Andy, God I like maps? Like, no. Jesus Christ. Although uh, that is like series is famous. Well, not famous for, but it does have really nice b- maps
2: in the books. Yeah, the maps. Which J Russell smith likely would have appreciated
1: i guess i feel like you would really like this you're just resisting <laughs> it for some reason
2: it's you because people it. told would, me to like it you would love Zandy. Yeah. it's <laughs> actually pretty fun <laughs> um all right so j russell smith he's probably the most well-known person when it comes to like tree crops at least in like north america although like <laughs> He probably it's a pretty also quick is from, niche pretty quick. Yeah, it's a small, small uh, band of folks. So if you stand out, you stand out. That said, his scope of work was actually fairly significant outside of tree crops. And his reach was so expansive that even if he never got involved with tree crops, he would still be kind of a major figure in other areas. And I think this is really important to understand when we're trying to like explain why he was such a big deal and uh, to fully understand the role he played and the leverage he had for what we're going to talk about in the future uh, with the development of the permanent agriculture movement. So not only was he involved with tree crops, but he was also like a very big figure in the development of geography as a field and its role in economics and Damn. uh generally speaking, the development of education in both of those fields.
0: Okay, so in True Poor Poor's flavor, we got another Ephraim Efra- Hernandez-type guy in the mix here. So, hell yeah.
1: Ephraim Ef- Hernandez-type beat. <laughs> yeah, so plug for that. Go listen to that series we did in the past after this one.
2: Yeah, never-ending plugging Efraim, because obviously. So let's start at the beginning. So our friend J. Russell, aka Joseph Russell, aka Joseph Russell Smith, was—I don't know if you use AKA like that, but I'm going to—was born him Junior Smith. Was born in Lincoln, Virginia, in 1874 to Quakers. Now Quakerism is a thread that we're going to see play out across a lot of these figures, basically from the early 19th century or 20th century on, in the permanent agriculture movement, basically. Most of the major figures came from like a very small landmass, uh, and that's there's a lot to unpack about that that we don't have time to do. But let's talk about Quakers a little bit. So this idea of Quakerism was really a huge part of his childhood, and it fundamentally framed his relationship with the landscape and his understanding of his responsibility to the people around him. For folks not familiar with the Quakers,
0: yeah, the Farmy Oats people that get their name sake quakers from the fact that they prayed so hard they would shake with the love of the lord that's where quaker comes
1: from damn really yeah huh i had no idea i always thought he was just a hot guy on the oatmeal carton
2: (laughs) i like how it's like that's all my contribution and here you go already delivering that content
0: yeah they used to pray hard
2: (laughs) pray hard work hard pray hard
0: Uh, (laughs) that is the most quaker quote i've ever heard ever
2: bumper sticker done it's too bad we're not a quaker podcast all right so the quakers are a unique sect of christians who um i guess you could say have a bit of a progressive and communalist way of living in comparison with most other religions at the time now quakers tried to solve solutions primarily locally everything was predicated on this idea of like the involvement of the community which was framed in this belief that the purpose of mankind was to help one another and basically the earth. Wow! So heathens, really? <laughs> exactly. His father Thomas was also a farmer, and um, he liked to spend his free time like trialing new experimental crops. And uh, he was always looking to get like the best, newest, rarest kind of cultivar. And the idea was like, how do we make farming easier? And like, what, how do we leverage the resources available to make things just simpler? And that was something that we end up seeing kind of play with Jay Russell throughout his interest in tree crops.
0: Okay. So we've started off with a few aliases here. So at what point do you go from being called Joseph to Jay Russell? Like, I'm trying to figure out the evolution from Joseph Russell. And then like, there's the trailer park, like Joe Russ, like how, what did people call him?
2: First off, Rusty, if he was in a trailer park. Everyone <laughs> <Yeah>. knows that. <laughs> Seriously, the Joe
1: Rust sounds like a presidential fitness exam, like special pull up
2: or something. Yeah. So Smith's schooling was also within a Quaker environment. I know. Big surprise. And uh, it was only when he was like 17 that he ever attended a school outside of his Quaker town. And that was where he got exposed to like the fact that the rest of the world didn't live like him. He spent a year at the school called the Abington Friends School in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. And that was to Jenking ready himself Pan. for... I know, Jenkintown. Uh, and that was basically because he was like, I want to go to college, so I should probably like, know what the rest of the world is studying, right? He wanted to study geography. His big concern, though, was that it wasn't really a, a practical career. And uh, he enrolled in UPenn's Wharton School for Economics in 1893. His freshman year was the only year he would attend full-time until his senior year, and he spent the next five years teaching full-time in high schools while taking classes part-time. In 1898, he finished, and he received the Terry Prize for a Distinguished Scholarship, and that allowed him to enroll in the Masters of Economics program.
0: Yeah, it's always wild to me and, and sort of amazes me that back in the day, all of the things you could do without a college degree. So basically, if you could read and, like, knew your letters... And you could just familiarize with the, yourself with a subject. You could teach it, kind of like what we do, but we have useless degrees.
1: Yeah, it's almost like podcasting today. Really, anyone, any, literally
2: anyone can do it,
0: and they do. We, we do.
2: Yeah, don't trust me on anything. Like this is that is the worst idea. There's no evidence that I know what I'm talking about.
0: Who is listening to us? Who?
2: Hey, folks. Thanks for listening. This is Andy from the Poor Pearls Almanac. Hopefully you're enjoying the podcast so far, and right now I'm talking to you from a commercial in a Poor Poles Almanac podcast. I'm sure you're enjoying the show and maybe even enjoying some of our ridiculous ads. We are able to keep our episodes ad-free and keep the lights on here because of support from listeners like you. If you think we're adding valuable perspective to the subjects of agriculture, ecology, climate change, and politics, then please consider giving us some support on Venmo, Ko-Fi, Patreon, or PayPal, all of which can be found at our website, poorpols.com. Please, don't make me go to Jeff for money. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Basil.
1: Okay, so what I'm saying is maybe people shouldn't listen to podcasters. So I, I'm maybe that's not a good thing to say on the air. Don't worry about it. Also, I feel like being on the air is generous. <laughs> Should we, uh, Dom? Are, are we going to delete that part?
2: No. Mm. Now here comes the serendipity. In 1899, Congress appropriated a million dollars for a commission to investigate routes for uh, a canal across the isthmus of Panama which we now know as the Panama Canal. A certain fellow named Emery R. Johnson of the Wharton School was chosen as the economist who would oversee the cost estimation of the project. And guess who is his student, Elliot?
0: Uh, J. Russ. J. Rock? J. Rock. Actual Trailer Park Boys <laughs> name back in here, New Cannon. His nickname is now J. Rock. We're going to refer to him as such. J. Rock, baby. J. Rock, baby. Hard as fuck.
2: Oh, Do you know man. What- do you smell what the J Rock is cooking? It's persimmons. <laughs> Not yet. Burning, ep- burning
1: economics books. Yeah, they're simmering right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Man, you don't need to cook persimmons; just let them dry. They're like candy. But you do need to cook books. I'm pretty sure that's
0: what economics is—just gas the Fed. <laughs>
2: janet yellen would like to talk to you elliot (laughs) janet yellen wants to know your location
0: listen she's gonna have to take a number just like everybody else all right
2: uh so speaking of fundamentally manipulating the economy for like a handful of people just you know while we're on the subject let's talk about panama in the early 20th century wow that was a good transition They went to Panama and they quickly realized what a lack of geographic knowledge does to an estimation of a construction project. (laughs) What a lack of geographic knowledge does to a motherfucker. Yeah, that. Uh, That was the joke, man. Good job. I love it. I'm glad that was clear. So he realized quickly that it was a shit show. He left school because he was like, fuck this. And he transferred to the University of Leipzig for geography.
1: Uh, Leipzig, Germany? Like, did he speak German? Well,
2: no.
0: So this motherfucker just hopped on a boat to Germany before, you know, Google or, I don't know, Duolingo and was like, I'll figure it out when I get there.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, basically. And uh, it, it went as well as you might expect it. He left the program shortly after and returned to the Wharton School in 1902. And he continued his economics fellowship and the next year, he actually received his doctorate in. Ready for it, economic geography.
0: Ooh. Okay, and- so this guy is fascinating, <sighs> and I just feel like this is what old timey folks like did with everything: just sidestep when you don't get what you want, and just they were just the masters at the pivot and figuring out how to just slide right into niches, kind of like we do, I guess.
2: There are no real rules;
0: you can just make it up. Most people couldn't read, so you just teach them.
2: Yeah. That's what it is. Anyways, his uh, dissertation, The Organization of Ocean Commerce, was basically a mix of all of his experiences. And it was what he called an applied economic geographic study, reflecting both his work with the canal and, again, his time in Germany to kind of bring all these worlds together.
0: Yes, his time studying in Germany. Okay, pal. Got it.
2: Yeah, right. So he was immediately hired at the Wharton School as an instructor in commerce. And they didn't really have geography there. So he built the Department of Geography and Industry, which he oversaw.
0: And that is how we get the classic two initial last name, famous white guy.
2: J.R. Smith. It was meant to be. Now, from uh, that late 19th century, when he was just finishing up or getting into his master's program into that early 20th century, Smith was always writing. And what's particularly interesting about him and his writing is that you can see his evolution as a personality, like he had like very clear Quaker understandings of the world, and then he got exposed to the rest of the world and like dove in head deep, and then we see him kind of pull back to his like roots later on in life. His first paper that he published in 1899, he criticizes American interests in the newly acquired Philippines, arguing that in quote. The American policy of our forefathers is one for us. America is an industrial unit and an economic unit full of undeveloped possibilities that await the hand of American enterprise. The continent is controlled by the most ingenious of all races and is dominated by the highest political ideals known to man. What need have we to reach out across 7,000 miles of ocean to take lands populous with millions of barbarians? End quote. Elliot, don't say— Say
0: what? Say what, Andy? What specifically do you not want me to say in this instance?
1: I think you should
2: probably say it, Andy. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and not say it. Was he a bit racist?
0: A bit. I mean, I just say old timey white Mm -hmm. dude. He liked getting his shoes shined when he was in a bad mood because it made him feel better. Massa. Asshole.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So we're not going to go down that road. I don't even want to know that road exists. Fortunately, we do see him basically do a 180 later on in his life. And he later advocates for, like, global solidarity and recognition of human brotherhood, we'll call it. Yeah, when it was cool. White hat fan over here. Yeah, I think he was just, like, young and stupid mostly. You know, again, he's...
0: I think he got his ass kicked by a bunch of barbarians.
2: (laughs) Changed (laughs) his fucking mind. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, who knows. But as an economist with some, like crude understanding of geography, he was still like pretty far ahead of like 99% of people when it came to like understanding the relationships between geography and ecology and agriculture and business and economics at this time, like the big, environment- the big five, as the, as we say, environmentalism at this time was like still new. If it even like really existed at all, that was also like this very quickly evolving concept. Like at this time, environmentalism meant like don't touch the land or you'll ruin it. So it was like in relation to humans, right? As geography during this time kind of took on like an interactive relationship with the ecosystem, it gave us a better understanding of all of the things we know today, right? About like the biotic and abiotic pieces of it, how food systems can relate with ecology and the, the living world beneath our feet.
0: So is it like all the separate subjects that people would study back then that he may have studied? Some of them are all under one umbrella, one subject now.
2: In some ways, like his interest in geography was for economic reasons, but also for like his interest in nature. So like parts of it kind of merged together, right? At his time, this idea of like geography basically meant like, how do we turn the vast resources available in the global South basically into like financial gain? That was the purpose of geography. Did you guys hear that?
1: Uh, Andy's long-winded refusal to shut up? No, no, it sounds so <clears throat> familiar. I think it's the sound of freedom coming to South America.
2: Oh, yeah, I can hear it now. Brought to you by the United Fruit Company.
1: Okay, so Andy, give it to us straight. Was he was Junior Smith involved with the UFC? He was
2: the fruit in the company, yes. No, he was not involved. <laughs> i <I'm gay>. uh, <laughs> I mean, no, I don't think so. Okay. So, you know. Similar, similar times, similar part of the world. We will never know if he was a CIA asset in Central America in the early 20th century. No one can disprove it, is what I'm saying. Now, much of his early work in his career was basically unremarkable. A lot of it was around like that, right? But we see him start to like develop some really progressive ideas moving on to the 19, late 1900s starting with this book called The Economic Geography of Chile. And this is where he starts to really draw these connections between, like, man, nature, and geography. Hey, he, he uh, talk about? It? It's like one coast. It's just, it's this big... It's like a line. Yeah. In this, he, he advocates for, like, the idea of, like, re, uh, restoration of industries based on, like, ecological limitations and ecological management. He also, like, really focuses on this idea of using technologies to really... Find ways to create utility and diversity of landscapes that had otherwise been turned into wastelands from other advancements, quote unquote, in development, quote unquote.
0: So this is when he had the idea that like, hey, we can't just do whatever. There's an ecosystem here and we don't want to totally destroy it. So we have to be careful.
1: Basically. And this was groundbreaking, but Man, rather, it took, it, and it took like break the ground.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it took two thousand years for white people to figure out you can't just destroy everything. We're still not really good at it, but we're kind of figuring yeah. it out. Unsurprisingly, his perspective kind of caused a stir, and it kind of began this new trajectory for his career. So, for the next six years, except for the publication of this one book called *The Ocean Carrier*, basically all of his articles were focused on conservation and agriculture and how those related to geography. And most of that got developed in this one particular book called Industrial and Commercial Geography, which kind of served as a framework for presenting the idea of, like, human use. Man, zesty title, huh?
0: Yeah, it's really pulling me in. It sounds like a real page turner.
1: I mean, were things just, like, more boring back then?
2: Are you asking me because I do a lot of research or because you think I was around back then? Either. So this this book wasn't really meant to be like for the general public. It was written basically because Smith felt like there were a lack of resources to teach his concepts of like human economic geography of how humans and the economy relate to the landscape and the ecosystems, right? And the books that did exist, he thought were like too focused on statistics and like static analysis of the physical environment he was like that doesn't make any sense the landscape reacts to things so he published it in 1913 and it was like like this huge success
1: and with that riveting title how could it not be
0: also success He, he was successful with this one
2: yeah i mean it's it's a very relative term right but it was a textbook so like as far as textbooks go and the fact that it like allowed him to change the narrative in classrooms it was really powerful he stated that, in quote, this book aims to interpret the Earth in terms of its usefulness to humanity. Since the primary interest is humanity rather than parts of the Earth's surface, the book deals with human activities as affected by the Earth rather than with parts of the Earth as they affect human activities, end quote. The idea was like, who cares how much gold is in this spot? The more important thing is, if there's X amount of gold in the spot, how are we going to leverage that for like maximum use without destroying the landscape? And the role of technology was to help us find a way to leverage that material while also reducing the damages and equalizing the benefits across the globe, basically, of just because one area has gold doesn't mean that no one else needs it, right? Okay, I have some thoughts on this. Given to
1: me. <laughs> yeah, like, economically human-focused, rather
2: yeah. than...
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, it sounds like you predicted blood diamonds. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, maybe. Blood diamonds probably existed at this time, to be honest.
0: But they didn't Mm. call them such.
2: (laughs) No, they were just just
0: economic profit,
2: yeah. (laughs) It was just free market.
1: Oh my god, one of the buffalo just fucking ran into the electric fence. (laughs) Was he wet?
2: Dude was like, hey, are you on a podcast? I love podcasts.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we'll see what Magina has
2: to say.
0: A soaking wet buffalo running into an electric fence, I mean,
2: that's better than TV. Yeah, we just put that on the air. We don't need uh, heroes. Yesterday, I had to chase
1: them up a valley for an hour and a half because they got out. Anyway, that's unrelated to this.
2: It's absolutely... Was his name J. Russell Smith? Because it should uh, be. No. His name was <laughs> okay, Kikane. Well, that's, that fuck fuck like, Kikane.
1: That
0: <laughs> sounds like human-focused geography to me.
2: Yeah, seriously. Uh, so, Speaking of human-focused geography... Uh, Smith- <laughs> (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Smith argued that the limitations that had um, been like the guidelines of human relations with the landscape were becoming a relic of the past for better or worse. In the first chapter, he argues that the environment of mankind is going through this massive revolution that's never been experienced, right? We know that now as the Industrial Revolution. And globalization basically allowed commodities to travel across the globe and basically made it so that we all can kind of live the same way. It makes us all pretty similar.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. so he wasn't wrong.
2: Now, his optimism, because if we think about it, at this time, there was a lot of fears that like we couldn't grow enough food, there wasn't enough work because of industrialization, that society like, couldn't continue on because mechanization was leaving people unemployed. It was just the world was like falling apart. So he was optimistic in in comparison to the society around him. He believed that technology um, would make us better as a society and as a civilization. And to do that, he believed that we needed scientific planning. Smith felt that like negative thinking around like technology and like the idea of like general big systems planning, like state planning, kind of like Soviet style planning before that terminology existed, was. Well, I guess it did exist. It was just the communist manifesto. Anyway, not important. <laughs> um, it was the fact that we didn't think that was possible is due to shortcomings of our financial and industrial system. And in his words, from our purely irrational method of distributing wealth and holding property. Take with it what you may from that quotation. He uh, basically believed that, like, and this is his terminology as well, global mutual aid. End quote, would lead to global peace and could help stabilize the country and provide a foundation for resource allocation to parts of the world that needed additional support. And just like that, the
1: United States government became interested in a geologist's research. Uh,
0: Is that the basis for the movie Biodome?
2: I thought the Biodome was real. Is that the one with people living out in Arizona? That's Biosphere 2. Oh, yeah. The
1: Biodome is a zoo in Montreal. But I don't know, if a, is there a movie called Biodome?
0: Yes. Yes, there is. <laughs> is N- it good? Oh, my God. We're going to have to 90s. have a
2: watch-a-thon of all the movies that I have not watched. Like, back-to-back.
0: Early, ni- back. early 90s Polly Shore movie. Uh, the answer, is it good? Pauly
1: I mean, Shore? I, I enjoy it. But is it a good <laughs> wait, movie? I will answer, I no. Biodome movie. Man. Oh, wait. I think, okay we talked about this movie on the podcast before. Yes. Because I remember looking it up and seeing exactly this.
0: Watch it. Watch it. Just take hour. It's 90 minutes probably. Watch it.
2: So 12 years later, after this. <laughs> it's book, not going to take me release. 12 years. No, it's, it might. It's taken me 36 and I haven't seen it. So um, Smith released another groundbreaking success. It was called, and you know, not a man of few words. North America, Its People and the Resources, Development, and Prospects of the Continent as the Home of Man.
0: Yeah, another banger of a title. Like, th- he doesn't miss.
2: it <laughs> does not miss. Triple Platinum, easy if that was an album. <laughs> so, the significance of the book was twofold. It addressed the need for regional geographic knowledge, which didn't exist basically at this time. Like, no one had actually taken the time to learn the geography of the, the land we all live on. And it also provided the first example of uh, attempting to evaluate the continent in terms of human use organization, again, to this idea of how do we maximize the potential while limiting the damage of human interaction with the landscape. Now, Smith was hoping that the book would help Americans focus their interest in skill development for developing and allocating those resources in a, a sustainable and efficient way on a local level that would then scale up and get distributed equitably and so on and so on. He felt like the reason why things were falling apart, people felt like society was falling apart, that industry was dirty, so on and so forth, was because things were being done wildly and efficiently, and that the resources were not, despite the public perception, infinite or as disposable as people had made them.
0: It's almost sad that it needed to be sad, but it did need to be said,
1: And, and f- kind of even sadder that it's been pretty much the same message for a... Like a
2: century. I mean, think about like 1908 and like how Mm -hmm. good of quality things were versus today. So I would say things just have gotten massively worse. Mm -hmm. To this point, we've kind of focused on like his interest in geography, right? Despite this, he really was an economics professor who happened to dabble in geography as one might. In 1903, while working on his doctorate, a decade before his major, uh, his first major book. He um, took over teaching geography at the school and tailored the curriculum to his content knowledge. The course that he was well known for was called Resources of the United States, and it became the best known course in the economic geography program at Wharton, and it was a requirement for all freshmen. And it was an opportunity for him to just like play with this dynamic theme of like relationship between man and nature and economics, right? Like. How important is it for these trees, for humans, and, like, what does it mean to, like, keep this ecosystem from falling apart but still, like, providing humans with stuff from this landscape, right? And this was, like, really, by today's standards, like, very rudimentary, the way they were having these these dialogues. But it, it was that first step, which obviously is important. It It provided, like, this highlight of, like, the great industrial opportunity of the United States – If it were paired with like modern technology and a progressive economic philosophy.
1: Uh, This is like the OG automated gay luxury space communism. I hate how online that sentence is.
2: You're welcome, Matt. Or thank you, I guess. I'm not sure. Uh, Let's go to a commercial. Hey, we're taking a quick break in the episode to remind you that you can get a whole lot more information from PoorProls.com. On our website, we have access to our supplemental reader for the podcast, which provides more depth and context as well as thorough citations for all of the stuff we talk about in the show. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which updates you about limited releases, such as various nursery stock that we sometimes sell through the Poor Pearls website, as well as updates about new merch that we have. You can also support the show through that website, poorpearls.com, where you have access to our Patreon and our Substack to get early releases for articles and episodes. Now, if you enjoy the show and are just looking for even more audio content, go check out Tomorrow Today, which just wrapped up season one, or tune into the Gastropocene, which is a project of myself and Dr. Aisha Khan to discuss the way our diets have driven the Anthropocene and what it looks like to use our diets for good. Now, back to the show. And we're back.
0: Back with that hard-hitting geographic content that no one asked for. No I one mean, I okay. No one. No one asked for.
2: Not even me. So <laughs> I don't
0: remember writing this.
2: I I, I don't <laughs> the liquor um, wrote this. <laughs> Randers. <laughs> randers the liquor did it um <laughs> for, <Blanked> uh, out. <laughs> writing a podcast <laughs> um so for the next decade smith was just like an, a conventional academic right he's writing his books he's teaching his classes he's training future professors and um you know being warden he was tra- training a lot of people that'd be like the future leaders of industries right and he was like really having a lot of fun like tying all these different interests of his life together. And one book that he wrote called The Story of Iron and Steel, which he released in 1908, he advocates for creating economic systems which were safe, ethical, allowed for labor bargaining power, which in 1908, was a pretty radical position, and the development of what he calls garden cities, whose goals were to make slums materially impossible. So it wasn't about mitigating it, it was to make it so that there was no possibility for that to exist. This came out before either of his groundbreaking books. So again, going back to that first paper that he wrote that I was like, he's talking about like primitive people. We can see how quickly his evolution has changed in like a decade.
0: I mean, so he, he didn't say that those cities would have anyone not like non-whites in them.
2: Well, technically.
0: J-Rock is going to have to work harder than that.
1: Man, I just love the idea of J Rock, <laughs> of J Rock from Trailer Park Boys, just trying to lecture about geography and economics. <laughs> the isthmus yep. of Panama <laughs> no, I'm saying? No, I'm saying. No, I'm saying. I'm saying. No, these rocks are hard as it's fuck. It's too many nom sands. <laughs> my fuck.
0: My fuck.
2: <laughs> my fuck. <laughs> this is the Trailer Park Boys themed episode. I don't know what to tell you guys. Yeah, we got to get the, um, the the liquor the wrote it for trailer us. Trailer
1: Park Comrades guy. Yo,
0: we got oh. my man, we got yeah. my man T in here. <laughs> We're trying to shoot these skin flicks, yo. <laughs>
1: also, I was trying to figure out what the acronym for makes slums materially impossible again. Mismia Miasma
2: uh, that is a movie. miasma Yeah <laughs> The miasma uh, it's, a, it's a very deep economic lore You have to mm-hmm. dig deep into history gonna, to find it
1: I'm going to wear a red miasma hat
2: Speaking of red hats So while our good friend Jay Rock was at uh, Wharton He got involved with some other folks in the economics program Who had a lot of similar ideas to him one of which uh, was named Rexford Tugwell, which we have not talked about yet. But, but he will be. We will. But we will. And they were good buddies, and they used to study and talk about economics and history and politics and agriculture. Mm-hmm. And then another. You know, they used to study together. If you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I don't think they did study together that way, Matt. Uh, <laughs> and, and there was another guy uh, of significance. There were other folks, but three of in particular were J. Rock. Rexford Tugwell and Scott Nearing. Scott Neering was kind of the young guy in the group and he's going to become a very big figure in the 60s and 70s in the homesteading movement. But they all worked together at this time for about five or six years. And it's like this little microcosm of like people that would go on to be like so important in our history for wildly different things who are all just like buddies. Uh, and I always find that like really cool. To be like people that didn't know there were going to be big deals in the future all like have this path that each of them influenced each other on. But this, this is one of those moments. And then 1919 comes. Some stuff, I guess, happened in history over in Europe and Asia. I don't know. Um, I don't something was going on. Them. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of fear about progressive, socialist, anarchist, communist types of folks. And Smith left Wharton to go to Columbia, um, and this was duplicitous. So he, he left because he was offered this role of overseeing the Department of Economic Geography, which would be the first of its kind in the nation. And this was also because the University of Pennsylvania refused to pay some of his assistant students. And that wasn't the only thing the University of Pennsylvania did. The other thing that they did is they fired his good friend, Dr. Scott Nearing, for basically going around the country and speaking uh, about the downfalls of capitalism and the benefits of communism. So Scott was not was told not to come back after leaving for summer break, which like school has the right to let people go, but the way they did it wasn't in accordance with their their typical processes. They basically wanted to blackmail him out of academics and they basically did. We're going to talk about that more in like six weeks. but. It was very influential on Smith. And he said, and this is you can see this, it's in a news article on our Substack where we talk about this. He said, in quote, "...I regret more than I can say the dismissal of Dr. Nearing. It is not a personal matter. It seems like a notice to all of us. Many of us feel as if we would like to resign this morning. This is only a matter that can make the majority of men feel like that. What kind of man do they want anyway?" Nearing was one of the most efficient men in our faculty. We feel that we are puppets. Must individuals refrain from doing what they believe to be their own duty? End quote. And then, of course, he did resign shortly after.
1: Damn, that's a that's kind of a sweet letter. But we are going to be talking about Scott Nearing later in this series, you said?
2: Yep, it's going to be a lot of fun because he's a really interesting guy who tends to make trouble. So it's going to be fun. It was here that Smith was able to make not just geography, but his flavor of geography respected field. And he, they built a graduate program and later a PhD program. And these were mimicked across the country because, you know, Columbia, if they do it, everyone's got to do it. The program what developed was, you know, a labor of love for, for Smith. And it allowed him to, like, do cool shit, basically he was able to leverage that success to go like do field-based work instead of just like writing and sitting in a classroom. It allowed Smith to travel across the country and see the landscapes across the, the globe. That was when he started to really see more of the, the destroyed topsoils. And that was where he started to get inspired around this idea of tree breeding.
0: So J-Rock became a bougie bitch and got to travel around the country and get paid for it. And he was probably still getting his sh-
2: shoe shined and shit. Yeah, basically that's it. You got it.
1: Yeah. Here you go, folks. J-Rock, Russell Smith, bougie kind of racist bitch, OG automated luxury space communism advocate. Everything you never knew that wasn't true about the tree crops guy. Speaking of which, we haven't talked about plants like once this episode. No, we haven't. This is anything like anything that's in know. violation of my contract, to
2: be honest. <laughs> hey, we don't respect contracts here, first off, Matt. Uh <laughs> Yeah, so we're getting there. You guys have uh, contracts? <laughs> uh, now, with the full support of Columbia, Smiths was able to like do basically whatever he wanted. And one area of particular interest to him was writing children's books on geography. That doesn't sound like trees. Patience. So from the beginning... No. no. <laughs> you will tase you me like that electric, fo- uh, electric fence did the uh, mm. water buffalo. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, from the beginning, Smith's educational aims in writing elementary texts were uh, basically on this idea of, like, espouting his social values and building general education. He was repeatedly quoted saying stuff like, the chief function of geographers is education, and that the education of people who are not geographers and never will be geographers. So, the idea was that children needed to learn their place and the world, not in terms of, like, disciplinary, but, like, as world citizens. And to understand, as he had come to learn, the interdependence across nations and to, unlike his youth, young adolescents, uh, humanize people from far off countries by exploring the ways geography and humans influence one another.
0: Okay, so this is that 180 you were talking about <laughs> where he was like, don't be a racist little shit like I was.
2: This is like after you get out of prison and you go talk to the kids about drugs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like his, this was
2: his white man's burden.
1: Jay don't do rock. <laughs> Jay don't do rock. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Wait, in, it you wasn't Jay Rocks. Rock. You
0: can sell <laughs> rocks, just don't do rocks.
2: <laughs> yes. Do rags, I mean, not do rocks. I've said that. Uh, yeah, so this was not the white man's burden, it was the white man's in Or Burr oak did. How about that? Does that work? <laughs>
1: it's a rough thing to try
2: to make a pun on to be honest
0: we had come so far so far and had to go say something barbaric like that
2: yeah in the end it doesn't even matter uh all right so, so wait
1: who, who sang that
2: some lincoln park lincoln park i'm
0: screaming on the inside
2: <laughs> uh it's just one taste of the inside of my brain would ruin most people Let's uh, let's contextualize some of Smith's work. All right, now we're getting into the, the teens, right? So the recent World War, um, obviously, like everyone at this time, had like a really profound effect on him, and um, particularly for him, this idea of like interdependence, right? For Smith, he believed that it was only through respect and understanding of our interconnectedness and through like empathy that we could like develop international peace. And, like you know, hippy dippy, like the world will be peaceful, mm-hmm. yada yada yada. You know, the idea of, like, increasingly powerful weapons meant we needed to find a way to, like, make them unnecessary, right? We didn't want to end the world, so how do we do that? We have to do it through, like, radical peace. In his books, he emphasizes, like, the relationship between humans and their environment. He believed that, like, by focusing on common needs and common problems across the globe, children would, like, be more capable of developing sympathy and understanding towards, like, people that were not like them. Now, with his two decades of teaching, he was able to, like, really develop, like, these books that were really successful. And the idea was, like, how do we provide facts that apply to children's everyday lives? And in that, he tried to reinforce the fundamentals of geography by using examples that were concrete and inaccessible language. His wife, Henrietta, played a huge role in assisting him with, like, developing these books because she was an elementary school teacher. That's cool. But a weird transition for a guy with his
1: knowledge.
0: Yeah, but like we mentioned before, he didn't need a college degree. You could just, you know, learn from his wife and then go on and teach other people.
2: As sure. a white man, he has the responsibility to his wife's knowledge, is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, that's his knowledge. I heard,
2: yeah. <laughs> you get the whole thing when that's you buy them. That's the bumper sticker to quote <laughs> Elliot. So I think it, it speaks to the value he put on like investing in future generations, right? Which, again, when we understand his context of work and as we're going to talk about in the next episode, his interest in like tree crops, this idea of like intergenerationalness, it all kind of like makes a lot of sense. Right. And it's also then unsurprising that like he ties geography to the need for good citizenship and like community and conservation. Right. Because to be a good citizen means to take care of your community, take care of the landscape, take care of the geography. So you can't really do one without doing the others. The books also were a tool to show, like, the great changes brought by scientific discoveries, which allowed humans to thrive in their environment. He made the books more accessible for users, including captions under images, which, like, today doesn't seem like a big deal, but was unheard of, basically, in the early 20th century. So, like, it wasn't just, like, these were important books for the things we care about, but, like, the way we do education today were fundamentally changed by the books he was putting out for young kids. And the books that he made were also provided as free material for teachers because he became very prominent, right? He ended up being the chairman of the Department of Geography at the 1933 meeting of the World Federation of Educational Association and the National Society for the Study of Education in Dublin.
1: Wow. Okay. So, number one, the (laughs) WFEANS... S.E.D. has a hell of a name. And no, those, it's are also, diff- those are two different oh, associations,
2: right? Oh, OK. Uh, no, they're not. That, that's one thing. That is one thing.
1: My God. And uh, number two, this is this is a twist. I did not expect in the J-Rock
2: saga. Twists like the do rag, man.
1: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh
2: So, yeah, his life is just like this series of twists, right? Like I said, before this episode started, the areas in which he was significant, each of them alone would make him like have a Wikipedia article, right? You know, the kids' books we've covered, obviously, his tree crop stuff, the actual geography development, uh, all these on their own are significant. At the same time, he put out another collection for kids called Our Neighbors, and they highlighted how communities learn to live within the geographic, including the climactic conditions within a region. And the idea was like, how have people geared their food and industry systems to the conditions where they live, right? While also pointing out the need to understand our global neighbors. Again, this idea of like local, like sense of place as well as interconnectedness, like these two sides to the same coin, right? Our local condition, we have to take care of our local condition, but that doesn't mean we're an isolated thing. It's a part of a bigger interconnected society where other people are doing that, right? That sounds like a great book.
0: Yeah, and that's that is fascinating. But then all those kids died in the mud and exploding trees in Normandy. So
2: yeah, Wow, you know. Elliot. Wow.
1: Well, I didn't Man, do it. That was a rough transition. <laughs> World War One was brutal.
2: Elliot, unlike Wu Tang, is not for the kids.
0: I didn't say I wasn't for the kids, just not those kids. I mean, I was I would have been for them, but there's just a lot of bodies in World War One, you know, like you know, mm-hmm. Hitler. I'm not for him either. I just. Is
2: this the end enough, of enough, episode? Elliot. You said enough, Elliot. Is this the end of the episode? <laughs> this is the end of the episode. Okay. How am I supposed to continue on after that, Elliot?
0: <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't even know how I'm supposed to continue on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. So next week we're back with part two. We're going to get into the tree crop stuff. All the cool shit that everyone's been waiting for. But now there's a context Seriously. for all of that. Like he he did some cool shit that no one gets to talk about. No one even really knows. All these people that talk about him, like, they like to harp on his, like, he wrote this book and he cared about farms and permanent agriculture. Well, like, well yeah. They you don't have, even you, know the half of they it. They don't even know the important stuff. Like, the tree crop stuff is meh. I'm kidding. Of course it's not meh. We're all tree crops people <laughs> You here. guys heard it here first. Tree crops and meh. Yeah, that's Poor it. Purple's Almanac. Poor Almanac is just about geography now. Purely yep. geog- geographic content. It's graphic <laughs> in our hazelnut. geographics. Bucket chestnut. <laughs>
0: See, we we learned how to pivot. We're like old white guys.
2: Yep, Mm -hmm. fuck the chestnuts. Now we're fucking with the buttes. Remember, we're cook rocks. We're gonna yeah, sell right rocks. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, okay. I'm just yeah. keeping you guys cooking, on your toes. Cooking rocks, selling rocks. That's what we're all about now. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, the J Rock, J Rock part two coming to you soon. Get on Patreon. Go check it out. Part two is up there now. Also, go on Substack if you want to read this because obviously listening to us is difficult. it's hard. I'm aware. Yeah. Well, <laughs> welcome to the inside of my head. It's just a dark place. Uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next <laughs> week. Got a Lincoln Park song too. Probably there was a lot of darkness in there.
0: I mean, hybrid theory is a pretty good album, yes, but also a good uh, concept for this podcast because <laughs> it's a bunch of theory and we mm-hmm. hybridized it with trying to bring it into Especially the twenty first 20- century. <laughs> oh, <What>? <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, we're done. All
0: right, we're gonna have to have a chat about respect.